0: Welcome to the Tate Wheeler Podcast, a podcast about inspiration, perspective, and purpose. Let's do this. Have you ever thought about how you survived the biggest challenge you have ever faced in your life? It was likely because the fire inside of you burned brighter than the fire around you. But what if that fire inside of you burned out? And flatlined your heart for two minutes, and you had to be brought back to life. Come to find out, the diagnosis was stage two heart failure. What if the fire had been lit so strong for so long that it had nothing left? It could have been the lifelong dedication to competitive sports. Maybe it was being a three sport collegiate athlete. Being a captain and a leader on every team, in every room, and every setting she ever stepped into. Maybe the years of grind, the constant drive to improve, to compete and always push herself to the limit. It could have been those things, but more than likely, that drive, that dedication, that never quit mentality actually brought her back to life. You might say... It would take someone with an iron heart to overcome something like that. How can an individual with stage two heart failure take on 100 mile races and marathons and compete in an Ironman race after multiple heart procedures, defying every logic about someone with her condition? Is that impossible or is it I'm possible? Well, that person is real. And I'm blessed to have her on the podcast. Carrie Trukowski. thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: We go back to our days as collegiate athletes in the early 2000s at St. Cloud State, and I always remember watching you compete. You had a presence. You were a natural leader. It was a vibe and energy that always radiated off of you. So I want to start there. Where does that drive, that energy, that natural leadership quality come from?
1: You know, many people have asked me this question and sometimes it's, it's been hard to explain because I think it's, I'm going to say, I think I was born with a lot of it. Um, and, and, and I definitely had the right people, you know, as men, you know, mentoring, coaching me parents that definitely kind of raise you in an environment of what a good leader is. And, but when I talk about like drive and energy, it's an intrinsic thing for me. It's when I go to bed at night, do I feel like I can check out the boxes? And did I do enough that was was good enough for me? It's never is it good enough for somebody else. It's whether I felt I succeeded today and what can I succeed at tomorrow? And I honestly, when I when I try to explain it to people, it is this feeling, you know, and it's, I, I, I don't know. And I think a lot of people that are like me, it's you're never satisfied once you reach that goal, what's the next thing? That's what drives you every single day. You know, that's your quality of life. It's, and, and when you, and when I think about leadership in itself, I don't, I, I naturally had this drive, not drive, but this passion to lead because I felt if you can be a good person and you can do that and and share that with others, you hope that they can pass that on as well. Um, And I think about, my high school days and my college days and yes being voting captain and different things like that but it doesn't stop at having that seat you know you have to definitely what i clearly remember is you have to be uncommon sometimes and you have to make tough decisions as a leader because you know you have to lead by example but you have to do the things that people don't want to do and if you do it and they trust that you do it and you show that action i mean it's it, in in you're you know they'll, they'll follow you know but as a leader too you always ha- you also have to be a follower you know um I don't I don't know when it started I don't know. I'm raised with two brothers you know you, I'm trying to survive myself around two <laughs> brothers and trying to do everything uh that they do because they are big into sports um but I think that was a big piece too it's like well how do I shine you know mm-hmm. how do I make myself known but also I come from a family where my father was a college football player. And there was that moment when I was in fifth grade and you know I was very competitive and, and kind of like me, me, me. And he had pulled me aside and he's like, the game the the any sport you play, there's no I and team. And he ripped me in front of my players, uh, my teammates. And I remember from that day on, my mindset was, it is not about me, it's about the team. And mm-hmm. that's how I've always thought about it. And that will always be in the back of my mind because my dad was like, it's all about life is about being a team player. Yep. Um, and that's just carry along. And so every decision I made, it's, is it best for the team? It's not, is it best for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of,
0: it takes humility important. though. I mean, that's, that, hum- that humility is. is tough as an, as an ultra competitive athlete, cause you had success in every sport you ever did. So how do you find that balance of, I mean, what you're saying and what I've seen from you is leadership is action, not position, right? Like you can, anyone can wear a C, but it's action, yep. the actions yep. you take day to day.
1: Yeah. And when I was in college, I, it was always, okay, you're not going out with this fear there or whatever. I'm like, nope. Um, and, and it was always hard sometimes because you always wondered, well, do they like me as a person? And then I got to the point where I'm like, it doesn't matter if they like me, it's do they respect me? Um, and sometimes at certain ages, that's tough to acknowledge because do you want to fit in? What do you want to do? Um, but you, I just stayed true to who I was, you know, and it was that faith in God and that faith in when I look back, you know, 20 years from now, will I be happy with the decisions I made? Because those decisions are playing into where I'm at right now Exactly. and who I chose to be. And I hope people understand that. And then I always said that to myself in college was make decisions now that you can look back on and go, they open the doors for everything you're doing right now because you could make poor decisions and they close a lot of doors that you could have had open. Yeah. Um, and, and definitely I just, and I think I live my life like that all the time and sometimes it may be boring to some, but mm-hmm. I can sleep at night and know, I did what God was asking, you know, and and having kind of live in in the presence of him. And I just make sure And then if I feel good at night, I'm like, I'm good next day, you know, bring it. So
0: that's so good. I mean, and and you 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 miss that feeling. What a lot of people have is regret. Like, what if you don't have that? What if because you led with action and you led with the choices you made then? And it's going to lead into a lot of talk that we go forward here. So let's go back. You finished college. You went through the crazy grind of being a three-sport athlete in college. I know that's crazy. I did two sports in college for uh, my first year, and then I was like, one sport is good. That's like a full-time job, I felt like, and you went three sports in college. And then you graduate college, you're on a fast-track CPA job, you're, you're on your way to becoming a partner at your firm, and you still are competing in sports and races, and then you notice something is off. So describe that time of what was happening that you couldn't quite figure it out into the moment that you flatlined and yet you had to be brought back to life?
1: So, I mean, like you said, I, I still trained heavily. I was still trying to compete, whether it was professional volleyball, all these different things. And I remember one day I'd gone to train and I was on a run and I'm like, you know, as, as any kind of athlete, you always have certain goals and you track certain paces. And if you're not on it, you're like, something's wrong with me. And I was just maintaining, let's say, it was seven-minute miles, and I remember that day I was just like, "God, this is weird. My body's off." You know, I couldn't, I couldn't like pinpoint it, but I was like, "Okay, I could maybe have some kind of the flu, whatever." So, in in my mind, taking a day off is going home for twelve hours and repeating it the next <laughs> day. You know, that is not a day off, but that's what I thought. And I, I repeated, you know, the same exercise to see if I could figure out if there's a trend and, and kind of journal about it to figured out and I, same thing happened. And I don't know why, I think just with our background and, you know, trainers and all this, you kind of know what to look for in different things, like just, you know, on the surface things. And that's where I checked my pulse and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not in rhythm. But in my mind, it's like, oh, this can be set back in two seconds, you know, (laughs) but I had found a friend at this gym and I I said, Hey, is something going on here? And he was an exercise. Um, uh, he was in kinesiology and he had checked my pulse. He's like, I'm not trying to scare you. He's like, but that's definitely not normal and you should get it checked out. And literally from that moment, I was seeing doctor after doctor and what they were first telling me was, you have an athlete's heart. This is normal. You know, and I'm like, no, there's I'm getting to a point of passing out. Something's really odd. And it's only during exercise. And one thing led to another. You get to a place of, okay. you know, four hospitals later, you're at the Mayo Clinic, they identify that you have significant scarring on your heart. It's um functioning very poorly. Um let's say a normal person sixty five percent, I was forty percent. And um they the the abnormal rhythm was stimulated, you know, exercise induced and it was originating from this scarring. And I'm like, well, where did the scarring come from? And they're like, well we don't know. And then they're like, did you ever take a heart hit in college hockey and you know and you can bruise your heart and damage it no nope, I didn't do that and then they're like have you ever been sick and I'm like no I'm not sick but as an athlete what is sick to you because we're yeah. trained to play through anything and so over the course of the years it's just like okay we don't know the answer but can we take care of the symptoms and can we stop you from you know having these rhythms well then one thing leads to another I pass out of the gym I'm taken to the hospital and ambulance all these things and I'm like okay at that moment I thought I would lost you know it's like now there's a defibrillator going in me, all this. Well, then they run all these tests and they're like, nope, you're normal and they send you home. And I'm like, I'm not normal. Somebody, Mm -hmm. I know my body, I've known my body long enough to know this isn't normal. And then, you know, males like doing all these sniffing testing, they're like, we got to do this procedure to see if we can stimulate it. And it was in the second procedure where they will go in and ablate, kind of burn certain areas of the cells that are sending out these beats that should not um, be, you know, beating on their own and stop them and what had happened is they had accidentally kind of just punctured my heart and so I internally bled um and then that's when I went to a cardiac arrest and kind of basically everything stopped on the table and then they had to bring me back um I think that was like a 15 that was a 15 hour procedure um but when you're under and you wake up I thought I was waking up to I'm going to be running in a week I'm going to be training in a week Instead, I looked down, I had tubes coming out of my chest and the doctor saying, there's been some complications. And I'm not mad at anybody because you take that risk. Because when I went into this procedure, I said, my quality of life is this. I want you to take it to the extreme because I want to be doing this in, you know, a couple of years. And he said, are you sure? I'm like, absolutely. I trust you and I know the risks. And it just, it's something that happens, you know, it's very rare. But at that moment, I didn't even think about, do I want to exercise? Now I was going oh, my God, I'm so lucky to be alive, you know, because I had asked my mom on her side, what what was it on the side for you guys? What information were you getting? And she said, they came back to tell us that everything went perfect. It was the best procedure they could have. And then 15 minutes later, they came back and said, it's touch and go. We're trying to bring your daughter back. Oh, my God. And I'm like, that's really what it was? And then I'm sitting there, you know, and I I make light of this, but I'm like, what was dad doing? She goes, Kira, he was staring at the ceiling. He had no clue what was going on. You know, mm-hmm. he's just like, oh, okay. But... I'm like, wow, you know, because when you come to, you know, and and the nurse the next day goes, Carrie, you know, I know you're very outgoing and you're willing to talk about anything, but can I ask you just one question? I said, sure. And she goes, did you see the light? And I'm like, Holy smokes, this is real, you know? And I was like, no, but I just couldn't understand the extent of it. And I couldn't, you know, I, I realized how hard, like my body hurt. I felt like I got hit by a truck just from the level of CPR and different things. But, um, Let's just say I didn't even want to climb a stair. I didn't want to do anything. Physical activity meant nothing to me because I thought any movement I made, my heart would go into a rhythm and then I would die. Um, But it it just took my mind to a place that had never been before and I didn't know how to get back. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And I mean, I think it for me, for me and many people knowing you, this next part of your story where you got to that moment where the fear set in and it was proof that you were human and because you had pushed yourself to the limit for so long and so hard and you were still doing that. And now you, 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 you had that mentality, like you said, right before they were operating, like, I want to live this way. And then you almost 180. Can you show uh, or share with the listeners just how bad that fear was for you?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, when some people say they'll make comments like, oh, you you're depressed, but you can get out of it. You can bounce out of it. Um, I had never felt depression like this. I had never felt the feeling of not. I didn't want to get out of bed because I didn't I didn't know how to live my life. I didn't know how to move and feel comfortable. And, and I think people that know my story and I, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say this, it, it got to a point where I couldn't sleep alone. And I had to move home with my parents. And I said, Mom, I need you to sleep next to me with your hand on my back to know that I'm breathing because I can't fall asleep because I'm afraid I'm not going to wake up. And what was triggering in my mind is remember, I remember hearing the doctor say that, you know, Hey, we need to figure this out cause she could die in her sleep. And I'm just like, so my mind stuck to that. And because the only way I fell asleep was from pure exhaustion because I just four in the morning, your body's done it, it passes out. And it, that was like three, four months of my mom sleeping next to me. And, and that's where I got to a point where I'm like, okay, how am I going to get out of this? Who do I need to talk to? I need my, like, literally, I called my coaches from college. I called the pastor because I think the fear was I didn't go to church, and I was only going to pray to God because now I was in a crisis, and I did not think that was okay, so I didn't pray. And finally, my brother, who had been baptized before me because our parents kind of raised us, you guys make that choice on your baptism, you know? hmm brought me to the local church here, and I was sitting down with the pastor, and he made a comment. He said, Carrie, you don't have to be in church for God to know that you believe in him. And it just changed my mind. He goes to talk to him at night and and let him know that you need um, help, you know? And then this just kind of transformed my mind. I got baptized at like 27 years old, and it changed me. It was that peace that said, you're not always going to be, if at all, in control, mm-hmm. and I just let it go. And, but it, it, you know, it came with depression, addiction, addiction to anxiety drugs, where my cardiologists were like, you can't take that much. But in my mind, it was, oh, it's going to fix me. Um, And what got me out of it is the people around me. Like I said, you know, my mantra, think it, feel it, see it, you know, live it. It was me closing my eyes and visualizing my, my feet hitting the ground and I'm going to run again. And then from running, I'm going to get on a bike and I'm going to do these things. And I had pictures around my room with you know the tests from the hospital showing, you know, success instead of her heart is this. I changed everything to be what is a healthy person. So I saw it every single morning I left my room. Mm-hmm. And I know some people would be like, "Oh, really?" I'm like, "Nope. I need to. I need to believe that it's there. And whether I fake it till I make it, I need to like bring it through. You know, just dreams and through, um, just you know, law of attraction. And and I it it <laughs> it's crazy, but. It, it 10 years in where I'm sitting. That's what I dreamed about in 2008. Yeah. And it's busy. It's um, it is having that, that, that prayer, that trust that there's something higher than us and just having faith in it, that there's a plan for you, Absolutely. you know, but you just got to let go a little bit and trust the process.
0: Yeah. And so that almost brings you to, you've mentioned your, your personal mantra and your, uh, you mentioned a vision board in there too, of something that you had to see. And so I want you to get to that personal mantra as you take on, you know, you, you just talked about how you were scared to walk. You were scared to do all of those things and you inch by inch got yourself back in the right mentality with this mantra. And you decided to do something that would challenge you mentally, physically. Uh, most people trained two or three years for it. And that was the iron man, right? Like I, yeah. you said something so big, from, from that moment of, of fear and doubt and like that fire inside of you had been like put out and now you're trying to build back and then that fire, you know, starting to go again. And so your personal mantra, you decide what I'm going to do this. I'll let you share it because it's your yeah, story. I mean,
1: and, and when we say like everything started back in 2008. So when I say like the things I'm dealing with, it wasn't an overnight all of a sudden I'm healed, you know, and when I just say healed, it's just, you find a place. It was learning who you are, deciding what is best for you. Can you, can you live without having what people only view you as as an athlete? That was where I struggled Mm -hmm. is people only like me because I'm an athlete. That's kind of how I always saw myself. So who cares if you were, you know, you did this in school, if you're not a good athlete, Carrie, you're worth nothing. So I had to release that and go, okay, well, I'm at a place now where I'm, I'm feeling better. I'm healthy. Uh, It took me a year and a half from the day that that happened on the table to even start yoga or just a slight walk because I I just needed to trust that my heart was fine. And so a walk led to a, okay, I have friends around me that I know could help me. Let's go for a little jog. And then from a jog, it was, let's get back in the weight room and throw the weights around. But I always put myself in a position where I knew there was some form of a doctor because it gave me that confidence um and then all of a sudden oh I signed up for a hundred mile gravel race you know down in <laughs> Rochester and then ran this Ragnar and I said sign me up for the twenty seven mile one I'm going to do this and I mean I'm telling you I, I told my cardiologist she's a little frustrated because I was running the night shifts and you're on the cornfields I'm like that was probably not the best choice but it was the longest mileage so I wanted to do it um, and then I realized when you're done and you succeeded at that my brother had flown in from Hawaii and I said Justin. I want to do something crazy, and I want let's make a video on it because if I can do this, we can share with people that they whatever goal or dream theirs is, we can give them that hope. Because so he does a he that's what his cinematography like he wants to share those kind of stories. And he's like, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "I want to do an Iron Man." And I told him what it was, and he looked at me because he already thought I was a crazy person the way I, mm-hmm. I train and compete. And we went on a four mile run and we talked about it the entire time. And we got back, we checked off the boxes and we're like, we're going for it. And I knew what I needed to do to get to a place of success. And that was like surrounding myself with a team, going back to what I know best. And it's people that I knew were gonna help me along the way because at this point in the health I was at, I needed a team. I wasn't gonna be able to do this myself, I needed my doctors on board. You know, and then that's when you go in, you propose this to your cardiologist. He's like, I'll do this if we run some tests. And then voila, you're actually stage two heart failure. How can you be doing what you do? And I'm going, well, can I still do an Ironman? <laughs> and he's like, you know, what? prefer if you started with a 5K. I'm like, no, whoa, whoa. I go, if I get one shot, I'm going big. And he's yeah. like, that's huge. And I'm like, that's who I am. Yes. You know, and I said, I, and he, and I convinced him. I sat in the appointment for an hour and he's like, let's go through this. Let me hear your plan. You can convince me, but I want to know you're safe. I'm going to follow you the entire time you're training. And it was, I remember that day he sent me off. It was the week before I left. And he literally was in tears. I was in tears. He's like, I've never met somebody who first could convince me, but somebody who like had this plan in place and is willing to take a risk, but also knows that, you know, it's this moment's for me. Like, He just reminded me that I already done the Ironman, Mm -hmm. you know, and that this will be just icing on the cake and to remember that and remember that I still have limits. And if I have to step back, do it, you know, and we were on the same page. It was, I couldn't believe I convinced him. Still to this day,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean an Ironman for anyone that doesn't know, I mean, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike. And then you just cap that off with a a full marathon, 26.2 miles. So, uh, Someone with your heart condition may struggle to get up and down the stairs without losing their breath or feeling like they're going to pass out. And you convinced your cardiologist that the Ironman was the way to go. So, I, I do think it's important too because you did just by you. I mean, you already had done it by getting to that point. But tell me about the Ironman because it, I know it didn't go to plan, and it just. It, I think that's important to you know. Everyone would say, oh, like this story, you know, now she completes the Ironman. But actually what happened, I think, is more powerful than what.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So share.
1: Um, you know, and, and like I said before, and this is, and this is, I'm being honest when I say this, I, I never thought I was of any value outside of Carrie being the athlete, because with Carrie being the athlete, there's strength, there's power, there's accomplishment. It's all shown by action. You, you put in the work, you get the product. Um, and. My why going into the Ironman was if I can show people I can do it, they're going to do whatever it is in their life and they're going to go for it. And I'm not saying do an Ironman, whether that's a 5K, whether it's seeing your kids more and you don't like, it's just, what is your why? And, you know, I had to remember that because if you don't know your why and going into this, what will break you is the mental piece of an Ironman. And I realized, okay, you know, you get there, I have 200 plus friends and family there and I'm going, that's when I started feeling, Oh my gosh, I can't let these people down. And that's when I'm going, okay, here, back up here. They're here because they love you. They're, they're not here because if you don't cross the finish line, you're not of value, you know? And, and so it's the, you know, it's the day of the Ironman, everybody's down there, you're getting ready for this and it's couldn't have been a, a more perfect day for somebody to compete in this. It was just beautiful. And I, I, I remember seeing everybody right before the swim and it was just, awesome. The sunrise was awesome. Everything, the water was perfect. And I get in the water and, and, and start going and, and mind you. And I think a lot of people will know the story too, is I had somebody along the way that was going to meet me as soon as we got out of the water and do the rest of the race. Um, but I had told this person that if, if, if it doesn't go as planned, you go, cause I want you to succeed. And so you get in the water, you're doing your thing. And some guy had kicked me in the face. Um, and I started, I just, you know, ingested some water and stuff, but what happened from there was I just continued like coughing, coughing, coughing. And then I started coughing blood and, you know, you're, you know, not even a mile in and you're struggling. And then the medical personnel are asking, you know, what's going on, ma'am? Are you okay? But the rule is if, if somebody helps you and they move you forward, you're just, you know, um, what's the word Uh, disqualified. And so in my head, I'm like, Oh, I can't do that. You know? And, and it's just, got to the point where i was hanging on kayaks going i have never felt like this but i was checking my pulse i was checking everything everything checked out right for the first time it's like something was going on with my lungs i couldn't breathe and um just progressed progressed progressed, took off my my wetsuit which i guess you're not really supposed to do but did and i tried to continue swimming and i rounded the corner at like one point two miles. I remember checking my watch and I'm like, Oh my God, I got tw- two hours and 20 minutes to get to the end. I should already be on land. And I don't know if I can get there. Cause anytime I tried to put my face in the water, I just started coughing so hard and coughing up blood. Um, and I, I'm going to be honest when I say this, I think probably 10 times the medical boat said, get in the boat, you're done. And I just kept asking them to trust me that I knew I was okay. I knew because they were like, "Ma'am, we checked your medical records. You, you're, you have a significant heart condition. We can't have you risk this out here. And, I'm like I know my body well enough. Please just trust me. And so what they did is they had two kayakers swim on my left and or, or had two kayakers in their kayaks and let and I swam between them and they guided me. Um, but you know you're getting to the place where you're seeing the end line. You hear the person announce there's uh, 12 minutes left before it's cut off and you can't compete anymore. Um, and I didn't. You know I didn't make the the cutoff. Uh, I finished the swim. Um, you know, rushed to the hospital, and, and what they find out is they they diagnosed me with um, pneumonia. Uh, but and in, when I say this is now that I've done more research from that date, what they think actually ha- happened, and I don't know. You've probably heard of this is like a pulmonary edema because mm-hmm. of the wetsuit on me, yeah. and Because of my heart condition and the drugs I was on, it basically backflowed, and so everything that it was just a bit. In, in it just blows me away because there was no way I could have had this this sickness. You know, I would have known my body, but I traced it back to the last time I had my wetsuit on that same thing started happening, but I got out of the water soon enough and I was done. It was just a quick swim. Um, so I reacted that way. So it's that thing going now I'm never going to touch a wetsuit again. The next one I'm going completely without, you know, and, and I did more back checking on it and talking with my cardiologist that's where, when you see things happen, it's that pulmonary edema. Whether you know you have an underlying condition or you don't know you have an underlying condition, that's what fired it up. Um, so you think about every. You, you think about doing this Ironman. You put in the time. You have this goal of crossing the finish line. In your mind, you see yourself crossing the finish line. But honestly, if I would have finished that race, I would be doing more today, and mm-hmm. I know my body can't take it it's carry the, the, the competitive athlete that says, Oh, I did one. Now I can do more. Now I can do it faster because I had trained at a time where I actually could have done something pretty cool. Um, but I think what I needed from this Ironman was to learn that I was already an iron man and people love me for who I was. And I love myself for who I was. Um, and that I would never have learned that if I would have finished the race, I had to learn that through, Carrie, this is the first time you've ever signed up or did anything or competed at that you didn't finish. So, what are you going to take away from this?
0: Mm-hmm. And I think one thing I've heard you say with that story before that got me is like, and it's probably the only time in your life that you took—you probably took last place, right? Like the only yeah. time you were the you were the last person in the water. And I th- I want to th- I want you to think about that moment though. Like you knew you had to in your mind you were going to find a way to finish that swim, but as you were walking out of the water and you see your family, like, what is that? Take me to that moment of, of what you were feeling and why you knew it was going to be okay.
1: You know, as soon as, as soon as they had announced that, that the swim was cut off, I, I couldn't, I had to find the, the strength to face the people I knew I was going to see on shore. Um, so I had to hang on a kayak a little bit, and just sit there and think about it because I, I didn't know what I was going into. And, and so it was, it was such a weird feeling. And I, I, Oh gosh, I mean, it was, I, I thought for a moment, I let everybody down, but then instantly in my head, I said, you cannot look at it like this. You need to change the way you look at this. You are here out of 3000 people with what you have. You stood on the, on the start line. And that is unreal. And you need to realize just even taking the chance that is accomplishing something, and and so I just kept saying that to myself, and I just started swimming in, and you know once my feet touched the ground, I just started bawling, and it was it was crying because, you know I see I saw all my friends and family. Well, here they had thought something happened to me because my my ankle device shut off, and my wetsuit or my wetsuit made it to shore before I did. I didn't think all those things were going to come together, but. Um, I think it was realizing that to finish a 2.4 mile swim under the condition I was in, I was just proud and I got to that point. Um, because if I could only explain to somebody how hard it was to swim like that, and that I was able to make it, um, just kind of reassured that I actually was, my heart was pretty strong, but um, that my family just, it, my friends and family, I mean, if you looked on shore, the 200 plus people from college to high school, everything, that's where I felt the love. It had nothing to do with Carrie's doing an Iron Man, and they said that to me. They hugged me. They said those words. They're like, "We're just happy you're safe. That's all we care about." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "You, you, you were an Iron like woman or man to us back when we knew you years ago." Exactly. And that was like, okay. And it's weird to t- say that to you because not to you, just in general, to to be okay with it because. Somebody said to me, you're going to learn more from this Ironman than you'll ever know before I did it. And now everybody's asking me, when are you going to do the second one? And I'm content. Mm-hmm. You know, competitive carry is content because I gave it everything I had. And when I'm ready to do a second one, it's going to be at the right moment. I'm going to feel it. But right now, I don't need that. You know, it's I don't need, in my mind, I don't need validation. Um, but, yeah, it was... It was interesting. It's hard for me to watch that video, and I think you've seen the ending to that video. My brother captured every single thing. I was. It was. It was just kind of realizing that Carrie's human right there. You know. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'll, I'll make sure I include that uh, that that link in the in the show notes so you guys can cry like I did when I rewatched it today this morning. Uh, to I want to go a couple more couple more things. Uh, hope is one thing that I I think people can can gather from your story for someone that is listening right now and thinks about, wow, this is super inspiring. I'm amazed by her story. How does it apply to me? And I believe that that message for you and your stories in hope, what would you say to them?
1: You hope like hope for me is, and I, and I go back to saying it's a feeling it is something it's, it's fire. It's a fuel in my gut. And it's knowing that you have this potential and you haven't tapped into it. And if something knocks you down and you don't think, you know, tomorrow is going to bring something better or in, in, and you feel like you're a failure, like, honestly, hope, hope to me is, is, is like, God, I mean, hope to me is that there is tomorrow. You have the next day to make another choice, to make another move, Um, but you have to trust yourself. You have to love yourself. You have to look inside yourself and what makes you tick, you know, and over the course of the last 10 years. And I just, I've been asked this question a lot. And sometimes it's so hard to explain because hope for everybody is different. Um, but when I sat on that first hospital bed and they said I had a condition, I would never, ever be ever be able to be an athlete again. And that, I'm just basically going to maybe walk. I said, I don't want that person in my room that doesn't have hope for me. Mm -hmm. I need a different doctor. And I said that immediately because I've never been raised that there's, (laughs) I truly believe anything is possible. And when I say that it doesn't necessarily mean exactly what you want is possible, but something is there for you still to have, to feed, to feed your, that fire, you know, what is your quality of life and you can find that. But you have to hold on to that tomorrow can be a better day Mm -hmm. and you can't let go of that. But you have to circle, like you have to surround yourself with people that have that same feeling, that same energy. And you can sense that hope from people. And for me it was, I need to hear your story and you can just feel it start. Like you can feel it burning inside you and you hear another story. And I literally, I get a high that I know anything is possible. And I, 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 and that's why I always go back to a feeling to me. It's a feeling. And it brings you up and it's whether it's you, you find good music, you find a book or it's just something you have to look where the positive stuff is and get rid of the stuff that doesn't raise you up. Um, and, and I, I don't know, Tate, if you can kind of relate to that, but hope it is, it literally, it is a feeling, you know, you can feel it and it, it, it's just, I, I don't, I sometimes can't articulate it well because if I could have somebody feel what I feel, then mm-hmm. they know there's that hope. Mm-hmm. Um, even in my lowest low and struggling and taking these different drugs and stuff, there was something that, you know, and, and, and that was always telling me, find this, find that person, you know, and then I'm reaching out to my pastor. Something always led me to where I needed to be. But you have to allow and you have to trust and you have to take chances because you never know what door is going to open and what it's it's. literally when you look back, you find everything happened for a reason whether it was a five-minute conversation with somebody, it changed something that needed to
0: happen. Absolutely, it let the cards fall into place, and yeah. you never lost that faith uh, in God, that faith in yourself, and there is always hope. And you can't be afraid to be vulnerable. You can't be afraid to extend a hand for help. And yep. and you were able to do that. Uh, and I and I think for anyone listening, I mean, that's such a a powerful time because if you're if you're in a dark place right now and you're listening, I mean, there's hope. And it starts with one action, you know, one action step, the right direction, one thing that you can see that that gets you back to your why, you know, that reason why you exist. So anyone listening, I think that's so powerful. I want to go two more. And this, you know, going long, long today, in the process of all this, you're a CPA <laughs> and you're on your way, you're in your career, like crushing it, no surprise to anybody and in this process of everything that you learned you decide i'm going to switch to i'm going to switch careers and i'm going to become a doctor and 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 i'm so happy for you cuz literally on tuesday that that, came, <laughs> that that came that came that happened right you you switched careers i mean just talk us through that process of why you wanted to do it and and now like i i would love you to share too like what your goal with that moving forward is because I think speaking that is, is just as important as, is why you did it.
1: Yep. Um, so when I had left college, yep, I went into the CPA firm and found myself on this track to being a partner and, you know, people, when you think about, okay, partner, money, all this stuff, I was never, you know, stimulated by money. I never thought, Oh, the more money I can do this, this, and this. I just felt through that whole process, I was just existing. I was never really living. And, then what happens? You know, you get sick. It triggers something in your mind. As soon as somebody somebody says, we don't know, well, what does Carrie want? Carrie wants an answer. And the only way she can find an answer is becoming a solution to the problem. Well, then I'm going back to school. What? I'm going back to school? Okay, I'm, you know, 30 years old and your career's kind of set in stone. You got this path. And I think anybody can kind of relate. When you start to tap into who you are and what you truly believe is your path, you can't shut your mind off. And so i tried to convince myself, nope, I'm where I'm at. I need to stay here. And it just kept bothering me every single time because if I didn't have an answer, then I was never gonna shut my mind off. So I was never, I, ne- I started feeling that I wasn't really, I was physically at work, but my mind wasn't at work. Um, and so I'd walked into my, like the top dog at you know the CPA firm. And I said, I think I'm going to step away and I'm going to pursue a different career. I need to sit down with you and see what you think. And it was, it was amazing. He's like, I Carrie, I can see that you're meant for something else, but we want you to stick around until you find what that is. And I had decided that I wanted to go back to school to see if I could find a solution to the problem. So then others would never have to experience what I did mm-hmm. because I knew the places I got to the dark places, the scary places, And if I could somehow help those people, I it would just be everything that I had kind of dreamed about, you know. Whether it's one, two, you know, three people. Um, So, (laughs) what what do you have to do? You're thinking about okay, I want to go to whether it's med school or graduate school and do research, you know. And um, I decided to go get my PhD. Because I thought in research, you could be really preventative and find an answer there instead of ever having to see somebody in a hospital. Um, but how many years of school, five years of school before I even got into the Mayo Clinic, which, you know, and I know people say, how many schools did you apply for? Well, being a patient at the Mayo, I realized their team approach and the way they treated their patients, I, that was all of a sudden I'm attracted. And like, you guys look at everybody and it's a team. You have 15 doctors around you because they know you can't do it yourself. And I'm like, that's where I need to be. And so that was the only place I applied for school. And everybody's like, oh, you're throwing all your eggs in one basket. I'm like, nope, I think that's where I'm meant to be. And so what did I do? I did my visualization. I created a badge that had my face and name on it already, because that's what you have to do with the mail. And I kept seeing that. And, you know, one thing led to another. I got the grades. I did what I needed to do. And and I got the offer and um, was grinding, what, the last five years, throwing the Iron Man in there, going through different, you know, the procedures and all that stuff. But... It felt right, but I'm saying what it felt right, I'm not saying those five years weren't the hardest years of my life because it is a grind. It is hard. I chose later in my life to do this, so I passed up, you know, in my mind, like certain things about family, kids at that age. Um, but I felt like I had a different calling, and I needed to kind of go that route, and things will fall into place. Um, I wanted to quit many times, I, I and it was quitting because – I thought I made the wrong decision. Shouldn't I have a family surrounding me? Shouldn't I have, you know, all these pieces, but I'm like, okay, don't compare yourself to all your friends mm-hmm. that have these things. You know, everybody has a different path, you know, and it's that self-talk it's don't fall into that spiral and then bring yourself to a place you shouldn't be. But I mean, like you said, on Tuesday, I, I crossed that finish line. I, I can't even, I mean, I couldn't barely even finish my presentation because I was bawling because I'm like, this was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And it was completely out of my element. But I said I was never going to quit, and my boss said this to me on Tuesday. He goes, I have a feeling, here you're going to write a book, and this is a chapter of Do Not Quit, and I'd like you to sign that book and make sure you give me a copy. He goes, because you have something special that a lot of people gravitate towards, and you truly, that I will never give up, and that hope and that kindness you spread, um, it's contagious. Mm. And that's why I do what I do. It's not, it, yes, it gives me the you know the warm fuzzies inside, but... If you can give somebody that hope and that inspiration, do you know how good that feels? Because I, I remember how good it felt for me when somebody gave me that key word, that hug, that, that, that story that changed me to believe that there's always going to be a way.
0: Man, that story is so, so powerful. And I think uh, that will lead me to my last thing. I, being that we, we've known each other for, for a while, I, I just reached out to a couple of your friends. And I just wanted to say, hey, just just write a couple sentences for me about Carrie. And so this is just like a little surprise at the end here. So here's here's from uh, Megan Henderson. Carrie is an inspiring person to so many people because she is real and genuine. From the moment you meet her, you will know you are getting the 100 percent authentic self. As an amazing multi sport athlete, Carrie has been a leader on every team she's ever been on, and she leads by example. She's honest, an excellent listener, empathetic, and a person that empowers others and sees the potential in everyone and finds a way to help them realize it for themselves. Carrie is a badass woman who <laughs> will continue to make a difference in this world. And I just wanted to end with that because, you know, you just talked about becoming Dr. Turkowski and I think, wow, what a perfect fitting for uh, what you're going to go do and the lives you're going to change moving forward. To, to hear a friend say something like that. I mean, what does that mean to you?
1: I mean, especially, you know, Megan coming from her, she is just one of the most beautiful people in the world. Um, it's, when you hear those things, you kind of, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, it just, it, it confirms that you're doing what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. and that you're making the decisions and the choices that are whether, you know, like I said, you're changing, not changing the entire world. You're just changing someone's world. Um, and that's all I settled to do. And yeah, I'm totally authentic. I mean, some people get side to me where they're like, oh, you're a PhD doctor and, you know, <laughs> my personality. But I'm like, those are the people you gravitate towards because they're real. And that's how that's what I want. I, I want to be. I want people to be able to trust me and, and know that I, you know, in, in hearing Megan say that I always see the potential in everybody. That is a truth. And there's sometimes where I exhaust myself because I just I, I care and I give too much, but I don't want to give up on somebody because I know what's in there. You know, and so for Megan to see that, and she's the exact same way. My gosh, is she? Um, but like, like you know, you surround yourself with similar people, you gravitate, you know, to there's that kind of energy. Um, but I mean, I love her to pieces. It's it's definitely, it, it yeah, it feels good. But um, it just reminds you, you just got to keep doing what you're doing.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, I appreciate you so much for coming on, sharing your story. Anyone listening cannot not be inspired by your story, your passion, and uh, I just believe that your message of hope and inspiration can truly make an impact, and I know you're going to make such a difference in the people you interact with, and I'm so um, proud to um, have you on and just say that, hey, this woman, this doctor, is a difference maker in the world. And uh, I just, I'm so excited for you. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I I loved it. And I just appreciate being able to kind of share my story. So thank you.
0: As always, everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a five-star review and share it with a friend. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon.